This has been more mentally draining than the whole of COVID because there is no job keeper. There is no one standing behind you saying, yep, it'll come back. The heartache of having to tell so many people no has basically got me to a stage where I don't even answer my phone and to hear the people asking the questions and then having to explain time and time again is just like picking a scab off a wound, basically. Hi, I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator at the Community Information Centre in Townsville. And in today's episode of Brave, I'm sitting down with Dan from NQ Amusements. For years, his company has supplied everything from jumping castles to dodging cars for events and children's birthday parties, school fates and everything in between. COVID hit him hard as it did with everyone else. But even the promise of reopening isn't much of a light on the horizon because of the bigger issues in the amusement industry. He talks to me here about pushing up against immovable obstacles and how he's had to totally change his approach to survive. The Community Information Centre acknowledges the Woolgarugaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. So I'm joined with Dan today from Queensland Amusements. Thanks for joining me. That's all right. Anytime. Um, so Queensland Amusements, established in 2012, is that right? 2012, yeah, that's when I, it was actually established in 2008, but I took over in 2012. Um, it's still certain, it's still a, a family element, still involved in the whole operation. But yeah, that's when we, we went, a, went away from what we were doing and focused solely on the amusement ride side mm. of the business. So... so- Amusement rides, where did it all start for you? Like, let's go right back to the beginning and what got you into managing amusement rides and that became Queensland Amusements? So my mum and dad had amusement rides. They first got them about 29 years ago. I was eight years old. And ever since, um, we've just been around amusement rides. So um, during that whole time, I had a two-year sabbatical when I finished high school um, but came back to the business and then ultimately ended up here in Townsville running Queensland Amusements. Um, so yeah basically since I can remember being around amusement rides, jumping castles, around different events um, right from Brisbane in the north in the south right through to Cairns, Cooktown in the north and far west is Mount Isa so pretty well all over Queensland we've been um, chasing amusement rides around. What was that like as a kid, being around amusement rides? Like, for us growing up, we had a trampoline in our backyard and that was like the best thing ever. Yeah. But you've grown up around jumping castles and rides and thrills and, and like as a kid, that would have, I imagine, exciting or what was that um, like? Exciting for everyone else. We always had the best kids' birthday parties because we always have jumping castle and... Uh, fairy floss machines and popcorn and all that sort of stuff but as you got older and especially when you're working in it yeah the the thrill wore off because it was just another job to set it up pack it up there was always the side element that at the end of it you had to go and roll it up and pack everything away because dad always said that you knew how to do it so you, you put it up you go and get it and go and put it away so yeah so when you took over Queensland Amusements, what was your vision for the business? Um, we just wanted to grow it to, to be a, um, a fun-loving 
part of Towns Hall and, and support it. Support, I guess, so many communities, different communities that we, we look after, whether they're schools or sporting clubs. When we first took over in 2012, we had, uh, I think it was about, say, 12 or 13 devices. Um, right through to 2019, we grew the business and at one stage we were up to about 45, 46 amusement devices that we were hiring and then plus all the novelty equipment, face painters, very fast machines, popcorn and that was simply just the demand, putting the equipment out in public and providing a service that was reliable, that was all part of it. Mm. So it wasn't just birthday parties you were hiring out to, then it became school fates and community events and pop-ups as well and like and I've been to school fates as well and there's multiple it um it really grew from parties small rides we started with the merry-go-rounds those smaller devices and then as we grew we grew into the pirate ships and the big slides um now well in 2019 um we we were right through to dodgem cars and big spin rides um, servicing those school fates and as the schools were growing we were growing with them and turning turning schools from um, mini fundraisers or or mini events where they weren't making a great deal of money into um, events that put a significant amount of fundraising dollars back to the schools um, all our school fates out of our ride sales, we donate 20% back to the school. So um, even from the rides alone, that's a significant amount of money. So, yeah, right, that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> With um, the floods in 2019, did that have any impact on your business? Um, it basically shut us down for all of that end of January, right through February. Um, we lived in railway estate, but luckily enough, we lived on the right side of Boundary Street that we didn't get flooded. At that time, we took it as a chance to move our operation and said, all right, the, the water has got a, got a bit close here. Um, and we, we owned a separate property out at Rose Neath. So we've moved the operation out there. Um, as a whole, it didn't impact from water going into property. It, mm. it, it impacted from us not being able to trade for those four or five weeks. Because mm, it shut the community down to, to an but extent, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, after that, we had a hugely successful 2019. We were involved in many events that were around that flood area, um, um, recovery events. One of our most successful pop-up food truck events was over at Anoomba Park. That was quite um, soon after it. It was, it was always a free community event, but that one, we actually put a gold coin donation on it. And from memory, I thought there was sort of $1,500, $2,000 that we raised just from people coming in um, at the goal to, to donate to... Um, Flood relief. Flood, yeah, mm. yep. So, and that was a hard hit area through Anoomba, so it was well supported. You said you had a really great year after 2019, after the floods. Did you think going into 2020 was going to be okay? Because by the start of 2020, we were floating the word COVID around, but it was there, but not really there for us. It was. Um, 2019 was our best year. We were doing events, sometimes 50 on a weekend, from kids' parties to school fates to corporate events. So start of 2020, we had no idea. Um, 
our first indication was Amy and I actually had a two-week holiday booked in Samoa in February. We were in the Brisbane International Airport and we'd had our doctor's certificate um, already. We got the doctor's certificate, got on the plane and went to, went to Samoa, had a wonderful time, and then came back basically to um, the COVID world erupting around everyone. Um, we were also early March around Sydney and <clears throat> when we got home we, we thought back about it and we remembered seeing the Ruby Princess sitting on Sydney Harbour so I'm guessing that's probably um, just before it went out for its last trip so um, we got home um, mid-March, start of March and the world was basically shut down from there on in and we were in damage control how to come out the other side. How did you? How, what did that look like? Because up until that point you were you were still on cloud nine from 2019. Pretty well, yeah. Um, we basically lost about $350,000 to $400,000 worth of work in 18 hours. Um, we were about to leave to go to CMC with toilets and showers. Um, we had all our school fate season planned out, starting um, basically starting the end of April, May. Um, we we're in the midst of basically locking in our full calendar, and within hours, we, we just basically lost the whole season. Um, 45 casual staff we had to basically say, we We've, we've got nothing to um, offer. Um, JobKeeper came along. That saved four or five staff. Um, it, without JobKeeper, we, the whole business would have been parked up in a shed somewhere and we would have been out working for other people. Um, so that was the start of COVID. Um, it How did that go for you from in that 18 hours and then onwards to receiving a phone call after phone call after phone call of cancellation and then you having to make the phone calls to staff to say, I now need to cancel you as well? Need to cancel, yeah. Um, it... I suppose it's something you never prepare yourself for no, when you go into no. business, hey, on a large scale like that. No, no you... you all of a sudden, um, what you'd worked towards was basically, and, and in our industry, it's it's really a service industry. We don't get paid until we supply. So um, in a way, we were lucky that we hadn't supplied a lot of it. So there, a lot of those costs hadn't been incurred. Um, in the end, it was a case that I don't know where I'm going to be next week in three months time. So um, you may just have to either start looking at getting onto Centrelink, onto government assistance, or going to find another job, uh, which many of my guys were able to do. Um, still not a very comfortable position to be sitting in telling them to that their job's no longer there and they've got to go and find something else. So going through 2020 then, did it start to turn around towards the later half of 2020 where you could get back up and operational again? And then how do you get staff to come back? Um, we did, we about June, 
June the 5th, we got an insurance policy back in and away we went. We started with small events. We just started with our full-time staff and slowly just started to creep back into the market as COVID allowed us to. Um, By Christmas time, we had a Uh, Probably a 30% Christmas season, but that allowed us to keep growing our staff back up until we had about 22. Um, So we'd got back halfway. Um, Very hard to get them to come back, Um, especially the more senior guys that had been around for quite some time. So it was a case of retraining a lot of them, um, which takes hours and hours. for a long time there we didn't have our full listing of equipment available which was okay to a degree but there's still running costs on that equipment when it's not being used by the time we got around christmas i thought okay all right we can we can work with this there was extra money around the town that was one other positive um people not able to travel overseas um, those, the, the events that we were doing were becoming quite successful head into 2021. 2021. So I rang your business back in June. It was my son's 10th birthday and the phone didn't pick up. So then I sent a text message to your mobile and I got a message back saying, sorry, we can't provide you any jumping castles. We don't have insurance. Yeah. Um, early May, we got news that all the insurance underwriters had pulled out of amusement ride insurance. What that means is basically when your policy is due, um, there's nobody to take it over. Our policy was the 5th of June. So we had essentially four weeks, four and a half weeks from when we were notified that there was no insurance. Um, to um, when our policy ran out. So for us that um, we worked as hard as we possibly could in that four weeks to fit in as many events as we could. Um, But it was, uh, I suppose, hoping that in that four weeks they'd find a solution. Um, They still haven't found a solution. We have basically, um, we're forced to close 80% of the business. Um, rides are all sitting in sheds. They're, they're unable to be hired. It's, it's amusement rides, it's leisure in uh, across Australia wide. We're one of the first ones. We were one of the first ones to regain our policy after COVID. Um, of amusement devices will be out of insurance by the end of September, start of October across Australia. And is that a result of COVID? Loss ratios they're blaming. So high payouts versus premiums that weren't paid through 2020 through COVID where operators weren't weren't operating. So basically the, the numbers haven't stacked up for the bean counters and the high risk of amusement rides so they've just pulled their insurance out of out of that that industry out of our industry Dan what do you do with all your equipment it's it's nearly worth nothing um, if you can't get insurance for it you can't operate it whether it's me or the next guy and they're not backyard rides 
that no. you can sell on Gumtree or Facebook That's for right. people to use <laughs> yeah. in their no. backyards. No, they're, they're like dodgem cars, they're full semi-trailer, you know, a prime mover and a generator and a, and a dodgem track. It's... As um, I estimate at my place, I've got between four and five hundred thousand dollars worth of ride equipment, um, all uh, all basically unable to be used. Um, the Dreamworld um, incident that changed a lot of policies and checks and things that had to be in place. And that which then affected the flow on of small businesses like yourself. What did you have to do in that space for your business, like for your rides? Um, so now we're all, um, well, May was the cutoff time. We had to have 10 year major inspections. So any of our mechanical rides, we had to basically strip them back to nothing and rebuild them. So I've probably spent 80 to $100,000 doing that. So you just sort of like, if I would have known that was going to happen, I probably would have just saved a hundred thousand dollars and just left left them in the back of the shed and not used them. Mm. So, but you you just didn't know. Even the inflatables, they're they're worth nothing. Yeah. You just you basically throw them away. Because you can't sell them for backyard. No, because then they end up in the public domain or they're hiring them out to their mates and yeah. it just crucifies your business. So you sort of either got to bury them or cut them up into tarps or whatever you can do. I've got a pile of them. I've just got to keep adding to the pile. So eventually I'll just reuse the vinyl into patches and repairs or make tarps out of them. So yeah, that's, it's, it, it, it's, it was the thing that, um, I think after COVID, we, we thought we dodged the bullet after COVID and we were ready for a great year, but this has just snuck up behind us and this has been more mentally draining than the whole of COVID because there is no backup plan. There is no job keeper. There is no one standing behind you saying, yep, it'll, it'll turn around and it'll come back. We're in the hands of the insurance companies. Um, if they're not prepared to do it, we, we just, part of sitting around just waiting for them to see what happens um so we've now had to um mothball all the equipment um and find other avenues of trying to um we've been lucky enough with pop-up food trucks we've been able to get some smaller items up uh, face painting and fairy floss and frozen yogurt um, to still continue those fun food side of the business Um, but once again I've had to go back to 20 odd staff and say sorry we we were in this position again so unfortunately I don't have any work for you again so um, how do you rebuild from that it's nearly impossible. Um, I've got to the realization now is that I don't think I'll ever make it back to the level of my equipment suppliers 2019. But I hope they find an affordable solution because my next concern about the whole industry is um, I'm already hearing reports three to four times the amount of what um, previous years policies of uh, were so um, then from a business point of view does it become viable to do it um, and you do if you, you're talking going from 
$20,000, insurance policies and they're quadrupling to $100,000, it's not viable. You can't do it. People won't want to pay um, $10 to jump on a jumping castle at the local markets. It's mm-hmm. it's just not viable. So Is this then also applicable for our travelling shows? Very similar position. They're all under the same, um, in the same predicament as us. It's... It's hard to see right now where the shows will be next year. So um, we hope that there's a solution for our whole industry. We hope there's a solution soon. But when that comes and how that comes and at what cost, we're not sure. So you mentioned about like where do you rebuild your business from here? Is it about rebuilding or is it about diversifying? For us, it'll be diversifying. I just touched on it, but I I don't believe that we'll get back to the levels of 2019 with our equipment. So it's time to diversify. Um, The last um, major event, State of Origin, we supplied all the catering for Townsville City Council. And across State of Origin, we had 40 vendors out um, serving food to the patrons. So... Can you talk me through that? Because that week when we had State of Origin here in Townsville, I think was absolutely amazing. The amount of people who were able to bring that together in a week, I think was absolutely amazing. What did you guys have to do for pop-up food trucks to bring that together, plus 40 vendors and food? It was absolutely incredible to be a part of it and probably something that we'll never see um, ever again in my opinion I don't believe six days they suggested that we need three locations of food can you do it yeah not a problem and then we put our thinking caps on going is there enough food vendors in Townsville for this who are going to want to do it and not watch the state of origin on a Wednesday night um, so we put it straight out to the community and, and within 12 hours we had 40 vendors all wanting to be a part of it so then it came down to selecting who had to go where having a good complement of food at each location Um, logistically generators power all of that type of stuff you've got to organize all of that to get all that yeah so we had a fair proportion of that that we had to put into place as well then knowing who was doing what was the big confusion um, who's doing this? Who's doing stage? Who's that was a confusing bit that was going on behind the scenes that nobody's seen. Um, announcements, locking in artists, who could come, who who was in lockdown, who was who was available with six days before the event. Um, how they put two big stages like they did in Flinders Street in that short amount of time frame. I think Townsville just got really lucky that that equipment was sitting here ready to go. Um, otherwise, it never would have happened. Yeah. No, it was amazing. And, and working in the Flinders Street that week, it was amazing watching that pop up and pulling people out of nowhere and bring together what they did, I think, was just massive. Because normally an event like that would take months of planning, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, six months would be ideal, but sometimes you just got to go with it and hope it comes out the other side, which it did in this case. It worked fantastically well. Yeah. Um, but I've got to a stage now in in my own life that um, I've worked hard for the last nine or ten years, and it's time to diversify into other avenues, other skills around event management and event logistics. 
I'm sure that we'll still have a smaller selection of equipment if we can get PL insurance for it. Um, but I think the days for us as um, large operators of, of a lot of big equipment um, will be either non-existent or a long, long away, a long, long time away. Um, the heartache of the last six or seven weeks of having to tell so many people no um, has basically got me to a stage where I don't even answer my phone anymore. It's sort of send me a text message or an email, but even that is still hard because you're sending the same template um, back to numerous people just saying, we can't, we can't supply, terribly sorry. And to hear the people um, on the other end of the phone asking the questions of why and how does this happen and then having to explain time and time again is just like picking a scab off a wound basically so um, it's it's really got to that that stage where it's it's, um, it's easier not to answer the phone um, so you don't have to explain the whole situation um, time and time again. We've touched on your business, you're a part of pop-up food trucks, and we've also touched on mental health. Battle of the barbecues here in Townsville. Yep. I feel like it's fitting that you're also to talk about that because you also have a hat on the ring in that space as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about Battle of the Barbecues. Battle, so um, 2000 and early 2019, a couple of mates came to me and we set up Townsville Barbecue Battle. Um, 2019, 12, 13,000 people down on Strand Park for a free community event. We, It was the biggest shock to us because we didn't realise how many people were um, that excited about low and slow barbecue in Townsville. And so we and what was on. the main purpose of the event? Like I know it was around the battles of barbecues yep. and people battling out who could cook the best on a barbecue. Yeah, so 2019 we had 19 competing teams. They compete, competed for um, grand champion, reserve grand champion and across the five different proteins and they all have points that go to the Australasian Barbecue Alliance National Championship. So that was all part of that competition. Uh, and again in 2021, same same deal as we had. Um, we had 25 teams lo- uh, compete this year in 2021. So we created this event uh, that really the barbecue world hadn't seen across Australia before because normally it's a $100 ticketed event in the back of a pub or the back of a showgrounds. And we wanted Low and Slow to be um heroed if you like so we wanted the teams out talking to people we wanted as many people as we could get down to strand park um, to come down and talk to the teams and talk about cooking on their barbecue so this year after the 2019 event one of the one of the committee's wives actually said to us that we've created an event that really looks into um mental health um especially guys and we 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 sat back and thought about it and then we realized that we had to continue to push that side of it a little bit further um simply because most guys will have a chat over a barbecue and a beer and that's what we had on strand park with 25 teams but not only the 25 teams but all the people that were coming down to watch they were going to have a chat to a team member or they'll bring in their mate to have a chat with them. So all of a sudden we, we felt that we were 
we, we needed to help create um, that mental awareness that you can come down to barbecue battle. Um, you can do it at home. You can have a chat with your mate over a barbecue at home. Um, so we partnered up with uh, Mentally Healthy City. We had our trophies made by the men's shed, um, both in Townsville and out at Upper Ross. Um, and we just wanted to bring that, um, bring that out across across the event that you can you can have a, have chat, a chat around the, have it around the barbecue wherever it is just make sure you have the chat basically yeah and at the start we didn't realize it we were just looking at the low and slow world um but it took took one of took one of the the wives to say um how about you look at it from this angle um and that's what we did we and away we went listening to you through your business and You've got quite a few hats that you wear, but all of them come back to being involved in the community. Where does that come from? Um, good question. Um, I think we've just always been involved in the community. Growing up as a kid, we played, um, well, I played rugby league, I played uh, road BMX. So we're always, as a family, around club environments. So we're always doing something for the club. I can remember as a uh, I would have been 14 or 15 or 16. We were competing in a BMX Queensland Championships in Bundaberg. And in between my races, I was going back and helping in the canteen cook chips. It was always instilled in us from, from my mother and father that we, we helped out wherever we could. Um, taking that into business, we support uh, four or five organisations as sponsors. So... On top of those sponsorships, then we we give twenty percent mm. of our of our sales back to schools. Um, it, it's just always been in our nature. Um, it, that's probably something that will um, have to take a little bit of a step back for a, for a little while while we repair and and rediversify our business. Um, but hopefully, we can still continue to do a lot of those things in the future. Thanks, Dan. No worries. Thank you. BRAVE is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.